Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Celestial Somology, where astronomy is viewed through the telescope of biblical prophecy. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Celestial Somology. The Brian and I have a special guest coming on with us today, a fellow co-host on According to the Scripture, Joe Musidla. But we uh, thought that it'd be best to bring him in for his special take on this because he has some experience in this matter. Today we're going to talk about a relocation that very well could be extraterrestrial in nature. Now, this is not something you can get in the Christian community. However, outside of the Christian community, uh, most notably uh, the New Age community, you will take note that there are many who believe, much like is depicted in the movie Knowing, that curiously, also uh, has the actor in the lead that was in Left Behind. But in that particular movie, we see at the end where two children are transported to a different planet so that they survive the cataclysm that ensues, wiping out all life on Earth. Except these children that have been relocated. Now, the New Agers, they know all about that. And they certainly know all about the indigo children who are supposed to lead us in the age of Aquarius. No doubt, uh, they do not keep these things secret. So with that in mind, uh, let's get uh, everybody on the mic in the saddle. Joe, uh, why don't you give us a little short diatribe about uh, uh, your expertise in the Bible, what you like to study, what particular type of path you like to go and um, uh, what you do, uh, you of course have a program here on According to the Scripture, but your other venues, and uh, then we'll get uh, Brian's introductions. Yeah, hello everybody. Uh, like you said, Joe Musidla. Um, what I guess where I'm at is, um, you know, I guess still adolescence, uh, still uh, looking at the Hebrew and Greek, but uh, in no shape or form am I a scholar in that area. Uh, like Brother Matthew said, I do have uh, a show uh, on his platform. It's called uh, Arc Building. And basically what I'm doing is just uh, building a metaphorical arc uh, comprised of the 66 books of God's Holy Word, the Bible, and helping to just uh, make a mental construct that will house our securities as these times grow darker. And I also do a show on another platform that is called A Cup with Joe. And on that one, uh, I get to, well, whatever the Lord places on my heart. I like to uh, try and uplift a lot of other uh, worthy uh, ministries and uh, just talk about, uh, well, I guess, real-life things. So, 
On a note, uh, Joe, you got that uh, cup number seven filled up yet, or what's going on with that, man? Uh, cup number seven is filled and waiting to be uh, dispatched. You, but, uh, you mean it's getting cold, I see. Uh, on to Brian. <laughs> I had to throw that at you. I had to. Uh, Brian, uh, jump on here. Uh, let's just uh, act like this is the first time, shall we? Why don't you uh, give your introductions, uh, your particular fortes into the Bible, God's Holy Word. And like Joe, that could be just the English version so far, uh, or the Hebrew, uh, or the Greek, because usually most scholars are either one or the other. And then give us your social networking sites and all that good stuff, how people can see your work. All right, well, I am Brian Ingram, and let's see, what do I... My studies work both in Greek and Hebrew. I'm by no means a master in either. I just sort of learn as I go with both languages. But nonetheless, um, I guess my areas, biggest areas of study as well is basically, uh, obviously, history. And then have ended up going down the path of geopolitics over the course of this last couple of years as well, which is coming quite handy with understanding everything that plays out in the world as we watch things progress on this, uh, how should we put this, well, this uh, collision course that seems to be slowly building here in the world as we speak. And, uh, well, you can find me on the Bands of Time uh, dot com or the Bands of Time on Twitter and also on timetribunemedia.com, and then we also have a YouTube channel, The Bands of Time. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's get this show on the road, shall we? It was on a different broadcast that someone publicly asked me that the case being there is no rapture to heaven. There is no ascending above the heights of the clouds. There is no sitting at the Mount of Assembly. That being the case, could the relocation, could the place that God is preparing for us, as stated in Revelation chapter 12, could it be extraterrestrial in nature? I did not respond. I wanted to keep that for a time that would be beautiful. That time is right now. I'm going to state this about that question, that the Bible God's Holy Word declares definitively there's only one faithful witness in the heavens, that is the moon. That being the case, that Psalm 89 verse 37 states, it shall be established forever like the moon and the witness in the sky is faithful, Selah. That being the case. Ladies and gentlemen, you are forced to take consideration that the Bible also mentions not only the faithful witness in a verse, but it goes on to add, there's an advocate in the heavens. Now, that being the case, it makes you, well, wonder if there could be an extraterrestrial relocation. That being the case, ladies and gentlemen, you want to, well, ponder the heavens. Look to the heavens, see what you can see. 
But going to Job verse chapter 16, verse 19, God is very clear about this. That, well, let me read, let me start with verse 18. O earth, do not cover my blood, and let there be no resting place for my cry. Now, ladies and gentlemen, you should know what that means biblically. Verse 19. Even now, behold, my witness is in heaven, and my advocate is on high. Ladies and gentlemen, there is a twin in the heavens for the moon, and that is an astronomical reality. Now, this just happened to pop up in the news. I saw it. I was on my break at work. I really didn't have time. But Joe immediately jumped into my mind. I thought to myself, Brian and I is going to tackle this now. It must be a good time. It's come up into the news. We've got to do this. God is plainly stating in this verse that the faithful witness in the heavens is accompanied beyond that with an advocate. That being the case, Joe, why don't you jump on here and share the details of that news article that I sent you? And what's your take on it? What you found out about this strange celestial object and how it's kind of surprising once you take time to take a look at it and really figure out what NASA's found so far. So, please, you've got the mic, Joe. Okay. Um, the Guardian, uh, this was published Monday the 14th um, of May 2018. Um, moon of Jupiter prime candidate for alien life after water blast found. Uh, article goes on and says, uh, NASA probe that explored Jupiter's moon Europa flew through a giant plume of water vapor that erupted from the icy surface and reached 100 miles high, according to a fresh analysis of the spacecraft's data. Um, it then kind of uh, goes on to Galileo. Uh, when this was first discovered, the astronomer, the uh, Italian astronomer in uh, 1610, and uh, – gives the uh, indication that this is this has just as much water uh, let's see uh, let's see I'll just start with this uh, if geysers are common on Europa NASA and European Space Agency missions that are ready in the pipeline could fly through and look for signs of life in the brine which comes from a vast subsurface ocean containing twice as much water as all the oceans on the earth um, that you know my first thought when I when I saw that that it, it kind of gives you a little picture here of like a, a watery geyser uh, bursting forth and the first thing that came to my mind was well, Moses, uh, when he led the uh, children out in the Exodus and had struck that rock and water had burst forth, it just reminded me of that. 
And I had, uh, well, some other uh, information that I came across that I thought was quite interesting um, as far as when it, this was first cited. And I was having a hard time getting uh, a certain program to work on my computer. But anyways, uh, so, you know, the first observation was uh, by Galileo in uh, 1609. He had cited four massive Galilean uh, moon with a 30X magnification telescope, published the results in 1610. Um, I thought this was kind of interesting because I couldn't find the exact dates um uh, but I did. They did give the months in another article or another, uh, uh, I guess, Wikipedia thing. Uh, first seen in January of 1610. Uh, I'm sorry, 1609, and then recognized him uh, as the satellites of Jupiter in March of 1610. So um, I kind of went over and looked at uh, the feast days. Uh, and what that would have been, um, that's just kind of where my mind went when I when they gave those months. And, of course, uh, let's see, January would have been either Shabbat or uh, Tebet. And March would have fell between uh, Adar and uh, Nisan, which I thought was pretty darn interesting. Uh, within that timeline. Well, uh, that is pretty interesting considering you're talking about the same exact time that the KJV was completed and released in 1611. That this also coincides with a great sign in the restrainer when the KJV was commissioned. Very ominous indeed concerning uh, this translation, but... Let's get uh, Brian's take on what uh, you seem to found about this uh, this Europa. Brian, your comments on this uh, celestial body. Well, I mean, uh, you know, to state from the beginning, this was something I had never thought to look at in this direction, even remotely. And I know that uh, when we were talking the other night, you brought this up, and I typed in Europa. Obviously, I was going to try to get to the Wikipedia article to look at a couple of quick things on there, but my mind went, I need to see what's in the news. And on October 9th, we had this article that came out in Live Science that kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with what Joe was just saying because they've obviously found a little bit more now here. Um, about Europa might have 50-foot spikes on its surface that could destroy visiting spacecraft. And, you know, they've got these um, this picture of an ice formation from Chile here to give an idea of what it looks like, what they're dealing with there. And then, uh, what is it, Universe Today, Space and Astronomy News on the 10th of October released, uh, Europa is going to be tough to land on. It could have towering walls of ice spikes across its surface. So this, you know, immediately gets you thinking about this place has got a certain type of protection so nobody can land on it for the time being. So it gets your mind definitely spinning in certain directions. Well, it, it certainly does, no doubt about it, and that's going to tie into it as well. The simple fact that, uh, well, these ice spikes may very well prevent you from landing there. 
that plays a very key, critical role in all of this because, ladies and gentlemen, when we look into the Bible source code in the Greek, you will take note that there is a very ominous threat associated with that name, Europa. It is, in the Greek, only once in a compound word. And it's not a very good, well, place to be. It is in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. It's here in the Adidorogia by way of a compound word. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who entered through it. Now, here, ladies and gentlemen, you have to take note that this word occurs a singular time. You all know it for what is, well, used as the wide gate. That is actually a compound word with Europa and G5561 room. So, no one understand this, that this is an overt threat that somebody was going to try to go there. And this answers another very ominous question in the Bible that has plagued people for years. Because God makes a singular threat in a very, very strange place in the book of Obadiah. You will take note that what he says here is not altogether good. Verse 4 of Obadiah. Though you build high like an eagle, though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. This word Europa is there in compound word that all of you thought meant, well, a wide opening in a, well, needle. That's very disturbing that I've said this many times that the ten kings that run this planet, just like God says, oh, they believe the Bible, ladies and gentlemen. They believe it. That being the case, it makes you wonder about all the space exploration going on right now and the simple fact that we know via NASA's research about Jupiter's grand tech, you're going to see the sign of the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven, which is can only be one heaven, ladies and gentlemen. That's There's only one cloud in the heavens. That's the Milky Way. Now, that being the case, no one understand this. You bring Europa into an Earth distance orbit, it is going to melt. And just like Joe made reference to one of the ten tests that the children of Israel put the Lord their God through. Water really will come from this rock. I direct your attention to Numbers chapter 14, verse 22. Surely all the men who have seen my glory and my signs which I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness yet have put me to the test these ten times, and have not listened to my voice, shall by no means see the land which I swore to their fathers, 
nor shall any of those who spurned me see it. This being the case, ladies and gentlemen, let's ask Joe about this. Joe spent quite a lot of time outside of church circles, and I want to see if he has any extra-biblical context for this to be put in. Joe, do people outside the church that are not associated with the church at all or raised in the church, do they talk about a time of being relocated or a time that we will ascend the heavens? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, Like you said, one was the uh, indigo children. Um, We talked quite a bit about that. Uh, A, um, uh, well, blue-eyed race. Um, pure uh, is is what 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 our understanding was. Um, as far as ascension uh, was concerned, um, that was more of a not necessarily a throne room sort of thing, but more of a stretching of our abilities to maneuver in dimensions. How's that? Well, you're you're talking about what Christ did uh, in his resurrected body, really. That's really what he was doing. I, I've heard them speak of that before. Have you ever heard them talking about an, a relocation to an uh, extraterrestrial body? Um, that was... That was something actually we you know that we were wondering uh you know when we were looking wondering about that of the different possibilities one uh we were looking actually at uh the Andromeda galaxy uh I thought that there was i think there was uh some talk of uh possibility of a a planet that was similar or possibly could. Uh, how's life um, but uh, it, it was just a, at least the circles I was in it was just a, a lot of uh, speculation as to that if there if there was an event uh, you know on this earth where, you know or if if uh, cataclysms ensued what would we do you know as far as uh, relocating and and what would be the closest and nearest uh, safe haven. I see. Well, Brian has spent a lot of time with this, too. So, Brian, what's your thoughts uh, about this uh, celestial body, Europa? And you spent quite a deal of time outside church circles as well. So give your comments concerning that as well. Brian, you have the mic. Well, when you bring up this idea of groups trying to remove themselves from this planet and go somewhere else, uh, yeah, the indigo children, of course, is a big one that comes up in that uh, thought form. You've got um, the Ashtar Command here. To an extent, I'm looking back through some of this stuff because it's been years since I've looked over this. They've got just a um it's a lot of new agey stuff with mixed you know as they do mixing all kinds of different belief systems together and i mean even if you think back to the uh what was it the heaven's gate cult where they all killed themselves trying they're going to catch a ride on the back of that comet i mean you've had this stuff going on ever since 
real deeply, I would say, since the UFO flaps um, began in the late 40s is when this whole idea started really kind of uh, coming into the mainstream. And, you know, if you even go down some of the some of the work that's being done by these people in different UFO circles, they even speculate that some of the German uh, craft have been able to get off of this planet and are buzzing around on other planets out there, and you'll get all kinds of strange stories of things that there's really no way whatsoever to um, confirm if they're just making this stuff up or what, but they seem to be pretty convinced that all of this is happening, so... It is an interesting little area to look at, but you got to kind of keep a level head and take it with a grain of salt when you're listening to these people. Joe, in your research on Europa, what did you find? Did you find similarities between it and the moon? Uh, if so, tell us about it. Yes, I did. Let me see. Um, they're actually very close in their size um i think europa was just a little bit smaller than our moon but our moon is uh what the i see the fifth largest uh, natural satellite uh that's at least known um let's see uh See, I thought I had the diameter written down. The diameter of the moon is, uh, oh, let's see, uh, 2,100, yeah, 2,159 miles. Uh, it's about uh, one quarter of the size of the Earth. Um, and they speculate, at least on, on, the, uh, on our moon, that it's uh, one or two percent. Uh, the core um, is one or two percent of the moon's mass, but... Uh, um, now the temperatures were were interesting. Um, of course, uh, the moon uh, being uh, at least closer to the sun uh, in the sunlight, it's uh, to our moon is 273 degrees in the sun, and in the uh, dark side, it's negative uh, 243. And I believe that Europa is about 200, uh, a consistent 246 negative degrees. Um, and I thought their orbital path was very, very similar um, as far as the uh, apogee and the, uh, uh, the, the perigee. Uh, I thought those were the the numbers were actually somewhat similar, um, at least as, as far as the distance from the planet. It is. It's disturbingly similar, especially when you talk about the diameter. You realize 2160 is the circle of the Earth. <laughs> so you mentioning that its diameter in miles is, well, 2159. You realize you look at the decimal points there, and once you measure it around its... Um, well, equatorial bulge, you're really starting to see things, but when you compare it to Europa, it's off the charts. Here's a sideline question. Did you study the Nazca lines on Europa? What are people's thoughts about that if you did look into it? Um, no, I did not get to look at the, at the uh, Nazca lines on that. All right. Well, let's get a little bit of take from Brian here. 
Brian, what's your thoughts on the similarities found between Europa and the faithful witness? What's your thoughts? Could this be a candidate? And if you believe that, why do you believe this could be a candidate to be the advocate mentioned in Job chapter 16, verse 19? Hmm, that's some interesting questions. Um, You know, it, it does strike me when you bring up that... Um, that 2159 and I was I had the article up here I hadn't found the diameter yet I just wonder at the decimal point if that's something that can be rounded up or not too as well because I mean that that 2160 it's like we were talking about the other day when you consider the uh, moons here with Jupiter you know Jupiter included you've got four bodies total and it's you know like I told you um, when we were talking about this, that automatically in my mind, anytime I hear four in relation, especially with that number 2160 or take it up a notch to 432, my mind always goes to 108, four corners. So it, you know, that's one of the key things that definitely stands out here, you know, and it, it speaks of the, uh, the four winds specifically in one of the, um, Versus we were talking about privately the other night. That's right. And Joe mentioned that the Earth is one quarter of the Earth. And you realize that Jupiter has four major moons. They're called, of course, the Galilean moons because he saw them first. So you start putting all this together and you realize, wait a minute. Is there a relationship that they knew about the difference between miles and kilometers? Of course there is. That's why they did it. But all of this is just off the charts. When you uh, look at this at this article that Brian referred to, these spikes off the surface, ladies and gentlemen, you don't have to like it. It looks just like a nest. Looks just like a nest is built. It has well these spikes jutting out the side, just like a well eagle that builds its nest on high. Looks just like a nest with all these spikes coming off of it. Absolutely amazing and. When you look at these lines on Europa, they, of course, have theories about it, but they have no idea why there's just these lines. But when you look at it in a telescope, ladies and gentlemen, it looks like the moon. It really does. You have to zoom way in to start seeing the Nazca lines on its surface. But if you view it, view it at a distance, it looks like the moon. It could be its twin. Then when you discover its size... Is the next in the, I mean, let me make sure I make that perfectly clear. In the list, any list you get for the size of celestial bodies in this solar system, Europa is always placed right beside the moon. They're absolutely almost identical. But the simple fact that this huge geyser goes off, there's also inferences where they wonder how a Europa well, does it look like it's very highly scarred? Joe, did you take a look into that? This the strange, uh, you know, it don't seem to have very many impact craters. If it does get impacted, it seems to have the ability to, well, uh, go back to normal. Uh, did you look at any of that in those articles? Yeah, I did. Um, that was where the they they started to uh look at oceans underneath the uh this basically uh crust of water or I mean of ice 
that's basically protecting it. So anytime it gets hit, it basically the water just comes up and refreezes and and smooths right over. And this was their uh, take on it, anyways. So the verbiage you're using reminds me of the fountains of the deep with this geyser that blew a hundred miles above the surface. It really does remind me of the fountains of the deep. Startingly, I mean, startingly. So it's just, uh, man, I don't know what to think about that. But when you put all these things together, it's pretty chilling. Brian, your research, let's, let's get the full meal deal. What did you look at? What caught your attention, whether in the scripture or in science? What grabs you about this celestial body Europa? Well, you know, two of the main points that I brought up just a moment ago here, definitely, but there was some something worded in a peculiar way here in Scripture, because as you brought up in Matthew 7, verse uh, 13, that word uh, that's G2149 has a uh, part of Europa within it, and... Um, Oh, nuts. I had it before, too. I'm going to have to find it again. Okay, the um, reference in Judges 18, verse 10, where that um, partial word is inside of another word in the Septuagint. Um, And when you go, you will come upon a people living in security, though it is a large country, for God has delivered it into your hands. Now, this is what it kind of struck me as being rather interesting it is a place where there's no want of any living thing on earth that does catch you sideways doesn't it i mean i I, yeah it does i was hoping you was going to bring that out because i hadn't told any i hadn't told joe anything about it but can you read that one more time please yep and when you go you will come upon a people living in security Though it is a large country, for God has delivered it into your hands, it is a place where there is no want of anything on earth. And this is from the Charles Thompson uh, translation from the Greek. Now, that brings us back to Moses striking that rock, which he paid dearly for. But this is one of the times the children of Israel was had tested the Lord their God, as mentioned in Numbers 14. Let us all consider this, shall we? Let me just ask Joe. Joe, do you think it would be fair if we were tested to the extent that the children of Israel were because they really didn't know anything? They were operating in complete ignorance. We are operating in complete knowledge. So would it be fair if God tested us as lightly as he tested the children of Israel? Your thoughts? No. No, it wouldn't. Um, no. It's, you know, when when you sent me this article and, and we started uh, kind of discussing this in private a little bit behind the scenes, um, I know we had, we had discussed that as well of, of – and that does really make you take pause that it's, uh, you know, we are to know. I mean, they, they went through it without knowing. 
but I would, uh, you know, I would bet that the ante would be, well, upgraded um, to enter in to that promise. Well, unfortunately, I would I would have to agree with you um, that I don't think that would in any way, shape, or form be fair. I just don't. And when you think about what we're told, this ten times, of course, is mentioned in an inverted way in the book of Revelation. Instead of it saying, we'll be tested ten times, it says we'll be tested ten days, which <laughs> is kind of chilling when you think about it. But like I said, they were operating in ignorance, the children of Israel. They didn't know the law. They didn't know uh, Elijah or Elisha, the wonders that he would perform setting up uh, the kingdom of Israel. Everything that was good. They had no knowledge of Christ. We have perfect knowledge in Christ. Joe, let me ask you something. God said that... Uh, the children of Israel tested him ten times. What was the majority of those tests about? Uh, the the majority was uh, food, food or water. And when you put that with that verse that Brian talked about, I hope everybody realizes there would be no edible thing on Europa. Not even one. Joe, I think that this would put us to the extreme test, wouldn't you think? Because then we would truly, truly be in a place where it was up to God to provide for us or not. Now, what do you think the psychological stresses would be on the individual, ladies and gentlemen? Brian, your thoughts... Do you think that is a fair assumption that we're going to be tested to a greater extent than the children of Israel because they were in ignorance and we are not? What's your thoughts? It's definitely one of those possibilities. I mean, we know we're going to have to deal with a next round of Karaz rebellion, and that would definitely um, up the ante most certainly to have people suddenly start rebelling in that fashion. You know, but it, even at the same time, that that verse that I just read before is just really odd. Having no uh, want of any living thing, of anything on earth, not any living thing, but it's just, it, it could give you a context for how and why Cross Rebellion breaks out again. I agree with you there. You're talking about fantastic stress involved. Um, you know, I get a kick out of Joe's uh, pictures. He posts on Facebook a lot of times. It's him and his wife uh, just relaxing, having a good time. Joe, you know, what do you think would be the reaction of American Christians if they were relocated to a, decimate, to a desolate place, they knew there was no hope of eating or drinking anything because they had no idea what the water was like. What do you think would happen? Now, now, I'm not talking about Christians at large because the Christians in Ethiopia, 
they they probably wouldn't you know probably wouldn't bother them. Certainly, the Assyrian Christians that have fled Isis probably wouldn't even face them. But what do you think would be the impact on American Christians? Um. Well, I think Brian stated. I think that would be the perfect uh, storm for Karaz Rebellion. Honestly, uh, without uh, without uh, local McDonald's or something, you know, something that that uh, people are used to. Uh, it, most Americans, when they think of food, they don't think of. Uh, well, they don't think of eating a locust or wild honey or anything like that. They they think of uh, money in a convenience store. <laughs> Boy, you're pathetically right about that. Uh, so this really does push the envelope. It really does. You know, Brian, I know you've been keeping up a lot on uh, – well – these different rockets that have been going off now, it seems that in the news, um, they're going to be very shortly able to provide civilians with uh, trips out into outer space. Your thoughts, Brian, on the level of technology we now have, or what we could have. I mean, ladies and gentlemen, you need to consider this, that we have super cavitating torpedoes that don't require a warhead. We have rail guns. We have, ladies and gentlemen, the Israeli army has, well, cruise missiles that do not have a warhead in them. It's been in the news that they actually have a particle beam weapon that fires gamma ray beams at individual targets, inducing EMPs to take out individual communication installations. And this cruise missile will just fly over and hit any hardened target with a gamma beam. That's true. It's, it's in the news. Please look it up. With that in mind, Brian, what do you think our capabilities are of reaching out into our solar system? Well, I mean, in the private sector right now, we've had the work of Elon Musk and um, his SpaceX project. And, I mean, if you've paid attention to some of the things he's been doing, just with standard rocketry, some of this stuff is just off the charts. Um, he's had, uh, you know, some of the blast-offs that he's done with um, four-way rockets bringing up the propulsion to obviously lift whatever it was into space. He's actually found a way to land all four of those um Liftoff devices, I saw a video on that, and I was just blown away. But, you know, taking this a step further, uh, many of the uh, other astrophysicists um, that work on forms of space propulsion, they've been working on plasma-based uh, physics propulsion drives that are going to be able to take you at a speed that is just unimaginable by our current understanding. And they've, they are so close to... Um, completely nailing down this model of how this propulsion works. And, I, you know, I've kept an eye on it for the last couple of years once I noticed that they were doing this, and there's several nations that are all working on these different propulsion systems. So I don't foresee that it's honestly going to be much longer if they already don't have something up that they're testing out there already. It's capable of doing this. 
Joe, what's your thoughts on our level of technology and what's been going on? I don't know if you've been following the rocket program or not, but what's your thoughts? You know, coming from the background that I did, um, it was always presented to me that whatever technology the public was given was usually uh, 50 to maybe even 100 years behind what uh, is in use in the military or in top secret uh, circles. And, I, you know, like I said, it's kind of conspiracy land, but um, wow. Uh, when you when you kind of do a little bit of research and kind of look into some things of, of uh, the supercomputers and, and different devices that they had for years before uh, the public ever knew anything about it, um, yeah, I think it really opens up the possibilities of us being able to do, or uh, at least certain groups being able to uh, do things that most of the uh, the public would not think is possible. Let me take us in a different direction. When you look at the Greek side of the Bible source code, you look into this verse. Job chapter 16, verse 19. In, well, the Thompson is, well, it's very good usually, but not here, not even close. It states that even now, behold, my witness is in heaven, and he who hath a perfect knowledge of me is on high. Which, yes, that, that could be the case, but Britain does it far better here. And now behold, my witness is in heaven, and my advocate is on high. Of course, we want to find out about that advocate in Greek, don't we? Well, when we go to online resources that have the uh, Septuagint key to Strong's, take note that uh, I usually uh, use a particular site when I go there. It offers no Strong's number for this word, but I can see it. I don't need their Strong's numbers. I know what that is. I know what that is. That is G4921. They can't hide it from me. I know where it's at. It is a compound word. It is senestor here. And it is a compound word in Greek. It comes from G4862 and G2476. Now... G4862 means together or with. And the second part of that compound word means to stand. So, Britain had it right in this case. It does mean advocate on high. It means to stand together, ladies and gentlemen. And you will all be taken to a place that's been prepared for you by God. Together, you're all going to the same place. And it's there you are, metaphorically speaking, going to make your stand or not in Kawal's rebellion. That is going to happen. Poor Revelation chapter 12. You can take that to the bank. The Lord your God has stated it. Therefore, you shall do it. It's that simple. Let's take a look at where this particular Greek word that they were trying to hide there in the Strong's G4921, where it's at. Uh, 
because it's three times in Second Corinthians. The first time reading from the New American Standard Bible is in Second Corinthians chapter four, verse two. But we have renounced the thing hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. You weren't expecting to see that word there because, well, here the New American Standard Bible says it's commending. You switch it over to the KJV, it says exactly the same thing. Let's go to the second occurrence in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 4, the New American Standard Bible. It says it again, commending. But in everything commending ourselves as servants of God, in much endurance, in afflictions, in hardships, in distress. I don't think I need to offer commentary on that one. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 18. For it is not he who commends himself that is approved, but he whom the Lord commends. This is this word. This is this celestial object that is reckoned in equality with the faithful witness in the heavens. Now, you all heard it screaming off the pages that you were going to stand together in this place and most certainly be tested. And those three simple verses gave you even the criteria by way you could overcome those hardships. Brian, your thoughts on those three verses, your thoughts on when you go online to the analytic uh, Septuagint key to Strong's, they won't key this word when they know full well what this word is and what you're going to see when you look at it. What's your thoughts on that? Because it can only lead you to, well, a time of testing. Brian, your thoughts? Well, yeah, and I mean, also you said it's G4921, correct? That is correct. Well, it's interesting because I have this in uh the King James Concordance is showing up, even though I can't seem to find the Greek word. It's showing up in of all places, Second Peter uh, three verse five. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. Yes, Brian, you're finding alternate spellings, and let let Brian and I clarify, ladies and gentlemen. The Koine Greek is the most complicated language you can learn. You have six, seven different cases where it will be spelled differently. Uh, usually the last three up to four letters, and then you have to deal with prefixes in the Greek. So the instances I shared with you was the particular case used in Job chapter 16, verse 19. But yes, Brian, when you look at the other places... It smacks you in the face again, doesn't it? It's just that for time restraint, I wanted to point out the particulars and focus on that. But, you know, read that verse one more time that you just quoted. It kind of, well, it's in your face, isn't it? Oh, yeah. yeah I mean, especially if you look at the context here, what's going on. Um, 
But again, Second Peter 3, verse 5, for when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. And that word there is the word for formed. And when you realize what Joe shared about the massive ocean underneath its surface, ladies and gentlemen, the prophetic ramifications is enough to rattle your cage. He might as well be talking about taking Europa and doing exactly what would happen to it if you brought it close to the sun, close enough to melt that water, set off all those geysers, and do exactly what that verse just stated. Let's say the distance of an Earth orbit. Let's say... God really was not joking with anybody, and you really do see the king star coming in the Milky Way. I mean, that does, in fact, give you a time frame, because Jupiter's not always in the Milky Way. Joe, your thoughts? Um, I, I, you know, time frame... I, I know I'm not, I'm not trying to... This is just my thoughts on it, and I'm not, you know, I know a lot of people out there trying to set dates or anything like that, and that's not my intention whatsoever, but I was just, with Jupiter coming out of her place, it made me think of the Passover, um, and when I looked, I came across... Uh, the constellation of uh, Cancer, which in the ancients, I, I mean, now it's looked at as uh, uh, a crab, I believe. Um, but in, in the ancient times, it was looked at as either one or two donkeys. And that just kind of got my, my mind going of that uh, same scenario as... Christ the King wrote in. Yes, it does, as a matter of fact. It, it it does. Which reminds me of another broadcast we did, but uh, absolutely off the charts that we're putting this out on the table for everybody to research for themselves. So, Brian, did you look into the mythology of Europa? Could you draw up any correlations here with anything prophetic we could look at? Well, there's some interesting little odds and ends concerning, um, because you have this obviously listed as a consort of Zeus, um, and then was the mother of King Minos of Crete, which adds in a whole other level on historic uh, connotations. Woman with Phoenician origins, and then, ironically enough, by the sounds of it, Herodotus uh, actually mentions this in the beginning of his uh Description right at the beginning of uh, his history book concerning um, what led to all the wars later on, and it's uh, that was one of the um, interesting little telltale signs in there because you're going to get this as well. What is it, the Hesiodic catalog of women, and uh, you got some different things with Homer and all that. Now, what I found interesting too was the uh, the etymology because obviously you brought up. You know, the connections with uh, Europe and Eurus, which is um, wide, broad, 
And then the last part of it, I guess, means eye, face, or countenance. And let's see, Broad has been an epithet of Earth herself in the reconstructed Proto-Indo-European religion. Um, it is common in ancient Greek mythology and geography to identify lands or rivers with female figures. Europa is the first used in a geographic context. In the uh, Homeric Hymn of the Delian Apollo, in reference to the western shore of the Aegean Sea, as a name for part of the known world, it was used in the 6th century B.C. by Annex, uh, Mandir, and Hectius. The weakness of an etymology with uh, Eurus that the stem of this is uh, disappearing in this word Europa, the expected, okay, that just goes nowhere, folks. Sorry about that. An alternate suggestion has also been brought up that this is connected to the Semitic term for west or um, even the Akkadian or Abu, which to go down set in reference to the sun or Phoenician uh, Arab evening west, which could, which would parallel Occident the resemble of Arabus from the Proto-Indo-European for darkness. And they say it is accidental, however. Um, okay. But let's see here. He adduces the word on a, for a Reb on an Assyrian steel with the meaning of night, the country of the sunset, in opposition to Asu, the country of sunshine, i.e. Asia or Anatolia, coming from the word for sunrise in the east, which we've talked about many times in the past. So, And there's even connections that they've brought in between Astarte, which is also obviously Ashtar, um, and Europa as being one and the same. So, so you're taking right to, well, where I personally was expecting. Um, ladies and gentlemen, the historical fact of the matter is this. This is the first usage of a geographical location being attributed to a woman. And this is worldwide. With all cultures, they do this. And you have to come to grips that, well, if we're going to be taken to a place that's been prepared for us by God, what other name would he get it, give to it besides that first one? Europa. This is off the charts, ladies and gentlemen. This is extremely so pushing the envelope. Let's get Joe's final comments. What's your thoughts, Joe? Do you think this is even in the realm of possibility, or do you think that, well, the verses that we covered is just talking metaphorically, and it means nothing? What's what's your thoughts? Uh, my thoughts on it is if during this time of uh, testing, it, in my mind, completely makes sense that this would be, well, this would be the ultimate test. This would be, uh, uh, I, I don't know how else to describe it. That would be just, uh, I, I, I really don't have the words to to uh, put into place of, of what that would do mentally and physically and the endurance that, uh, and, and, and the faith, really, that would be, well required to enter in uh, and not take part in Karaz rebellion. So to me, uh, if he was going to do that, that it makes the most sense to me. Well, 
I agree. You know, going back to Second Corinthians chapter 10, God says something that, well, let's just read it. Verse 9. For I do not wish to seem as if I would terrify you by my letters. For they say, his letters are weighty and strong, but his personal presence is unimpressive and his speech contemptible. Ladies and gentlemen, oh, by the way, just so you know, Paul didn't write this. The Lord your God wrote it, just so you know that. Uh, Paul wasn't smart enough to write the Bible God's Holy Word. Neither was Moses or David or even Solomon. Wasn't smart enough. They couldn't cut the mustard, so to speak. The Bible tells you itself who wrote the Bible God's Holy Word. So with that in mind, I understand Joe's thoughts and you talking about truly being terrified when you find out, when he writes on your heart, because that's what Isaiah chapter 24 says and the sixth seal event. Lottie Dottie, everybody knows. It's a countdown of 1,260 days to the wrath of the Lamb. Now, we already discussed, God already come right out and told you that you're going to see the sign of the Son of Man, the sign of His Son. There's only one king star in history. It's only Jupiter. I suggest you go check out, according to the scripture.wordpress.com, go over to Axioms. Go down to the drop menu and click on Jovian Sign. And see just how much of a king star it truly is. Brian, your closing comments, please. Your thoughts on the ramifications that if we were going to think to look anywhere, it would have to be to Jupiter. Because it's going to do a grand tack. And NASA already proved it. What's your thoughts on the ramifications of this? Well, it's as we've discussed before with the uh, the infamous Nice model that was discovered quite some time back, which is the only plausible explanation for why some of the orbital uh, inclinations of these planets are sitting right now as we speak. Uh, something else interesting that popped up when I was looking um, at this article concerning Europa and the mythology caught my attention real quick here because uh, they've got this little... Uh, paragraph in here, the myth of Europa and Zeus may have had its origins in a sacred union between the Phoenician deities Astar and Astarte in bovine form, having given birth to three sons by Zeus who Europa married a king Asterios and then, you know, the Minotaur and Zeus comes up here, is likely derived from the name Astar. Now, folks, that word in the Greek is the word that we just had previously spoken of in a program um, in Revelation chapter 9 for the star that falls. And that star can have, you can have connotations with that being identified with the planet as well. So I find it rather peculiar that this spelling for this word is used, taken from the Phoenician and transferred over into uh, the Greek language as Europa, is a rather... Um, rather peculiar play on words here in the midst of this, which just makes you think even more now as you ponder over this idea. 
And, you know, there was another thing I've been thinking about, you know, too, over the course of the last few days here is, you know, folks, if we didn't have Jupiter in our solar system, this planet would be getting hit by meteorites and comets and all kinds of stuff on a continual basis. They have found time and time again that Jupiter is the protecting factor inside of our universe. So I think that's um, definitely food for thought within this. Well, here's some more food for thought. Let me read to you about the story of Europa. The story of her abduction by Zeus in the form of a white bull. Well, Joe mentioned that this was discovered January 1610. I'm going to share with you something that when I discovered it, it rattled my cage and I thought to myself, I need to wait. Eventually, they're going to find some evidence that Jupiter is going to come inbound. Because you see, Galileo observed Jupiter in conjunction with Uranus right between the horns of Taurus. That's where it was discovered, Joe. I've known that for 25 years. It was these things that began my mind to calculate. Well, what celestial body could this be? I mean, how can... And why is it that word in the Septuagint to stand together in a place that's that's perfect, but I was thinking to myself, well, maybe this is a a rogue celestial body that's going to come into our solar system. So I started studying Uranus, tracking Uranus, because I know the Bible tells me, it told me first, that it was going to get, well, it's going to swap places with Neptune, and one of them were going to receive their crown back. And I waited long enough, ladies and gentlemen, and of course they come up with the, that's right, the Nice model. Yep, you better take a look at NASA's data because it states very plainly and very clearly there's not only a fifth gas giant, but Uranus and Neptune swaps places. That's right, Joe. Galileo made his discovery of Europa when Jupiter was in conjunction with Uranus, right in the center of the horns of Taurus. Let me read about this story again. The story of her abduction by Zeus, which is Jupiter, in the form of a white bull. Now, of course, most of the love stories concerning Jupiter originated with more ancient tales describing his marriages with goddesses. This can especially be said of the story of Europa. Joe, can you share with us your um, your contact information, your social networking sites, and your final thoughts on this, please? Yeah. Uh, contact information is uh, Joe Musidla, M-U-Z-Y-D-L-A dot nine, Facebook, or J Musidla on Twitter. Uh, also, uh, um, I believe uh, it's under According to the Scripture for Arc Building, and the other podcast is called A Cup with Joe. Uh, final thoughts, um, you know, once again, mind-blowing 
to look at all this. Uh, it was fun. I uh, discovered quite a few things, um, and then even you know talking with, with the two of you of, of you know. Uh, I knew I was missing some information on I knew there was something way more there on the uh discovery and the the dates and and where that would have taken place um so that was that was the cherry on top so thank you you are very much welcome and you are a much celebrated addition to the crew on according to the strip the scripture Brian, your contact information please social networking sites and your goodbyes. All right, well, I just wanted to add one thing in here real quick. It's interesting you bring up Taurus because that's the third time now today that something has come up in relation to everything we've been looking at here um, with uh, Revelation 9 and all of that. And now here it comes up again. And uh, I had two other spots with the other program where it made mention of this. And then... Earlier today, I found Graham Hancock had posted something here on Twitter. 12,800 years ago, our planet's long hazardous dance with the Torrid Meteor Stream may have wiped out an advanced civilization of prehistory from the record. What goes around comes around, and he posted an article from EarthSky.org that was released on October 15th of 2018. Are asteroids hiding among the Torrids? And uh, they found some potentially... Uh, what they would refer to as hazardous um, meteorites floating around out there in the midst of this. So rather interesting timing on this story, I thought. But you can find me at, as I stated before, the Bands of Time at Twitter, uh, thebandsoftime.com, or even endtimetribunemedia.com. All right, thanks for joining us. God bless. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you might want to take a look into the Torrid Meteor Shower because, uh, well, it uh, obviously has a parent body that causes it. You might want to look into that. Yeah, I would say you probably should look into that, and you'll probably be reminded of some of the things that Brian and I have talked about before. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, Celestial Somology. Signing off.